You know, the average tiny house right now in the market is 24 feet long. It's 10 or 11,000 pounds in weight and 50, 60,000 dollars in in price on average. That's just the average right now. And, and our goal is to cut all that in half. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 33. So, who here listening has felt frustrated that buying a completed tiny house on wheels seems so expensive? The average tiny house is 24 feet long, 10 to 11,000 pounds in weight, and 50 to $60,000 in price on average. My guest today is Andrew Bennett, and his goal is to cut all that in half, and so Core Housing Solutions was born. The goal? A truly affordable tiny house on wheels. And I think you'll be pleasantly surprised by the results. In this conversation, I'll ask Andrew to share the secrets of how he can possibly afford to build and sell a tiny house on wheels for $28,000 and what lessons you can apply to your own tiny house builds. Andrew is an inspiring entrepreneur doing a lot of good for the tiny house movement, so I hope you'll stick around for our conversation. Before we get to the interview, this episode is sponsored by my exclusive online tiny house community called Tiny House Engage. If you are planning or building a tiny house, Tiny House Engage is the place where you can ask me unlimited questions about your build, about your plans, about systems, about anything. You can also access a huge library of video trainings and get support and encouragement from your fellow tiny house hopefuls. Registration is open for the next week only, so to learn more, head over to thetinyhouse.net slash T-H-E. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash T-H-E. All right, my guest today is Andrew Bennett. Andrew owns Trekker Trailers and co-owns Core Housing Solutions. He co-founded Buildsworth.com, a tiny house inspection service. He's been featured on HGTV, the DIY Network, FYI, and more, and recently gave a TEDx talk on how living tiny can make for an extraordinary life. Andrew Bennett, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? I'm great. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. I appreciate it. So, my gosh, reading through your bio, you are doing so much in the tiny house movement. And the reason specifically that I really wanted to have you on the show is that I got to see one of your core housing solutions homes at the Big Mass Tiny House Festival a few weeks ago. Yes. And I was just blown away. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, the festivals are always a lot of fun. And one of the best things I think about them is that we get to meet interesting people such as yourself and uh, get the have our thumb on the uh, pulse of the industry um, it's kind of funny calling it an industry it's, it's more of a, a a movement I would I would say um, and I, and like you said I, it sounds like I've done a whole bunch and you know right away like you listed off all the stuff I've done but I've just been in it for so many years those opportunities have come by and I've, I've taken advantage of them when I can so why don't you explain to our listeners 
you know, what is core housing solutions and, and the Firefly? What, what are those things? <laughs> yeah. So I, I, as you said, I've owned Trekker trailers for nine years now. We were building tiny houses and like micro gypsy wagons and so forth. And um, a couple approached me about partnering up to do a truly affordable um, tiny house because it's really needed. Uh, you've seen the prices going through the roof for tiny houses. And, and I love all those creative ideas, but our, our passion was really to afford uh, or to provide a truly affordable tiny house, not just to purchase, but to own like the maintenance and so forth of it is, is very minimal. Um, so yeah, so Bruce and Sherry chattered and approached me about partnering up and, and kind of inspired me and, and reignited the flame of my passion for the tiny house community. And uh, so we started core housing solutions and all we do is build tiny houses and, and specifically we build, we build one, tiny house right now we have one model one size and that's it um you know kind of the model a ford um outlook on it is uh you can get any color you want as long as it's white and any options as long as they're already in there um and, and it sounds funny but the the house i design really does meet a lot of needs as, as you saw when you were there in mass and saw the tiny house it really does cover a lot of bases um now now having said that we are going to be introducing a two-bedroom model and a single student dorm room kind of model here in the next few months. Um, so we, we will eventually have three different models to choose from. What kind of got me so intrigued was the price tag. And <laughs> I, I decided I didn't know that it was a $28,000 house when I walked into it at the festival. And so I was kind of like, I left and then I looked at the stuff on the table and was kind of like, wow, I can't believe... You're doing this for for twenty eight thousand dollars when, as you said, we're seeing tiny homes, you know, that you can purchase for fifty, sixty. You know, 000, I've seen tiny houses 000. over a hundred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're 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 shooting for the moon. So, I'm curious: is it the materials that you're using? Is it the build techniques it is what is it about the house that you're able to do it so affordably so one of the one of the things that runs the prices of a tiny house upper is the labor um is as most things is the labor so we're actually using a, a much higher end building material so the end user actually gets a higher end product but not a bunch of money was was spent on labor so the piece that you end up with has more of the value with its structure um, the way we were able to get the price point down was one, one of the things is not doing a lot of custom stuff. Um, uh, we do very little customization if, if any at all. Um, and that saves on countless hours of, um, of, you know, talking with people on the phone and going over this and details and their Pinterest page and all, uh, basically we're cranking out one of these a week with just three, um, employees. So our time frame is down from about 400 work hours on a tiny house to about 80. So that's our biggest savings. That's yeah, and that's amazing. Eighty hours to build an entire tiny house. I usually in my book, Tiny House Decisions, I tell people to budget a thousand hours for a DIY, you know, you've never built anything before. That's very, very accurate. Yeah, I've I've built over hundred and fifty structures myself so far. Um, and we're we're starting to ramp that up a whole lot. You know, the average tiny house right now in the market is twenty four feet long. Uh it's ten or eleven thousand pounds in weight and fifty, sixty thousand dollars in in price on average. That's just the average right now, and and our goal is to cut all that in half. Um, so our our Firefly model is actually twenty five feet long, uh, 
Um, it's 5,500 pounds, so you can pull it with a half-ton truck, just a regular F-150 will pull it easily. Um, and as you said, it's $28,000, so it's, you know, half the price. And, and there are other good points about it, too, uh, that, that are worth noting is the maintenance is very little, if any. Like, the outside of the house literally needs nothing for 100 years, no painting or anything. The paint isn't powder-coated, baked-on finish. Um, you don't ever have to mess with. There's no wood to rot. There's no uh, cavities for water penetration. It's a very sustainable product, and the electric bill is only about $18 a month. So it's very easy to own, not just purchase, but to own. So these houses are built from, from metal sips, right? Yeah, they're, they're high-density foam core sip with a, with a metal skin on them and a powder-coated paint. Um, and there are lots of different sips panels out there. Ours are the highest grade in the country available. Uh, just the skins alone have a 400-pound-per-square-foot pull-away rating, so there's no chance of delaminating the, uh, the outer skin from the foam core sip panel. That's great. And longtime listeners of the show might remember we, we did an episode um, with someone who designs SIP houses, but we talked mostly about wood SIPs. So is it are metal SIPs generally the same idea that you've got, you know, a core of foam sandwiched between, I guess, in this case, two sheets of metal? Um, kind of. I mean, the you do have a foam core center, um, and again, it's it's a higher density, higher grade foam than most. But also, with a, with a wood paneled sips, you still have to put a cladding, you still have to put a vapor barrier. It, you, it really just just um, uh, replaces the wood framing structure. It doesn't really, it's not a finished product. Ours is a finished product right down to the paint that's done on it. So there's there's nothing to go bad. There's nowhere for any water to penetrate. I mean, literally, if a tree branch went through the roof of one of our houses, you can just the water can only go through the actual where the hole is to the inside. You pull the branch out, put some duct tape over it, and you're good. <laughs> nice. Uh, speaking of which, our houses are also, as you mentioned, um, part of Buildsworth. Uh, they're actually certified and inspected third party to meet code in all 50 states. Oh, great. So meet code as a, as a single-family residence or as a... Yes, yep, as a, as a single residence. And it's, and it's the IRC codes. It's the, it's the federal codes, not... You know, each municipality has their own twist on each each uh, regulation, so you still want to check with you know your local zoning and code enforcement. Has Appendix Q changed any of that for you, or helped any of that for you? No, not at all. Um, it, it, what Appendix Q did, in my opinion, is it it just raised awareness. It rallied a bunch of forces together, and people just you know just uh, building momentum in the tiny house movement. Um, honestly, all all the stuff that they really passed. We, we've already been able to do in a lot of places. There's lots of tiny houses in my area built on foundation that were code compliant. You know, we're talking 30, 40 years ago and some as recent as five years ago. Um, but they're, you know, they're already, you know, 300 square feet, 400 square feet. Um, I've gotten approval for 250 square feet uh, before there was an appendix queue. So again, you have to, you have to go by what your local municipalities are going to be willing to accept. Uh, as far as building codes go. But yeah, it's a step in the right direction, I think. But it hasn't changed anything we've done because we already met all the stuff we needed to. Well, that's that's really exciting that you're you're building a product that is not only affordable and durable, but also stands a pretty good chance of being legal for people to live in, you know, obviously, with the caveat of every town has different laws, so your mileage may vary. It, exactly. Ours is also transformable. Um, so like, 
our frame, I designed an engineer frame, so it has some, some unique features to it. The tongue is removable, which a lot of people have that, but our tongue is removable, but also our entire suspension system can simply be unbolted. Um, so you can set the house up on blocks like you would a mobile home. You can set it down on a frame like a skid home, or you can anchor it to a concrete foundation, and then you have what's, what's considered a, um, a uh, factory-built modular type home or a factory-built home. So our, nice. ours, you can change for also if you wanted to add, you know, uh, axles and suspension to it, you can simply bolt another set on there if you wanted to carry water tanks and battery banks and go off grid. It's it's totally set up to accommodate all that. And the chassis has room for all that stuff. The house and trailer together weigh 5,800 pounds. 55. What is the trailer rated? 55, sorry. What is the trailer rated to, to carry? 7,000, 7,000 pounds. Okay, so there's still plenty of wiggle room to... For furniture and all your stuff in there. Yep, yeah. And, and like I said, if you wanted to add, you know, several thousand pounds of water tanks and battery banks, you can simply add more axles to it. They just bolt right on. How many of these are out there? Uh, we just started Core Housing Solutions about three months ago. And let's see, I've kind of lost track. I think we've got 10 or 12 out already. Nice. And we have orders for on, on the books for about 112 right now. Wow. So if I wanted to buy one, how long would I be waiting? You'd be waiting about three weeks. Nice. Okay, so you're really just cranking these things out. We are. So like the, we have an order from one company for 100 of them, but they don't, they don't just get the next 100. They get them in groups of 10. We don't, wanna, we don't totally want to block out the individual from being able to purchase one of our homes easily. That's great because I mean I think I I've I've met you and I know that you're you know you really care about the people in this movement and I I know that you're doing this for the right reasons you know you're you're doing this because you want people to be able to afford a good house and so I think it's great that you're you're trying to kind of keep the bigger orders the more corporate customers at not at bay but just making sure that they don't take over right right from the the core mission to to no pun intended the core yeah. mission of core <laughs> i'm okay with puns <laughs> but yeah that is that is the goal and and we had that question we get pretty often people are like well how how long do i have to wait to get one if you have you know 100 of them on order you know and, and what it was is we tell all of our big companies that orms like you can only get them in groups of 10 and then in between those 10 we build one or two for for individuals, you know, and that that's kind of hard to do from a business point of view because we're we're looking at orders that are, you know, three and a half million dollars, you know, and and that's a pretty good chunk of money, uh, especially for someone who hasn't really made any money in the industry in the last, well, since I've been doing it, it's been a been a struggle, mainly because of my passion and I kind of I'm I'm a sucker for 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 a story, and in one year alone I built six houses for free just because I, I connected with the story of the individuals and, and wanted to help them out. And, and it, it made a difference. You know, it's the only guaranteed return on investment is in people. And that's where I bank on. Having kind of engineered these houses to be quick to build, I'm curious if you have any tips or techniques that you think that that you'd be willing to share, of course, mm -hmm. that, that could apply for a DIY builder. Like, what are some things that you've figured out in your experience building small houses to help make the process of building, you know, my DIY, maybe my stick-framed tiny house, how can I make that go faster? Yeah, of course. Well, the 
first of all, if you're doing a DIY, if you're not really, really skilled at, at construction, then you're not really going to save money if your time is worth anything at all. So just, just always keep that in mind. If you're making minimum wage, you're better off just paying a professional to build your house. So if you're doing it to save money, um, don't. But if you're doing it because you want the experience, and, and I have friends that, you know, they could buy one of my houses cheaper than they can build their own, but they want the experience of building their own. So I encourage them, yeah, go ahead and do it. You know, that's, I'm, I'm all for it. But if you really are just looking for the end goal of the freedom of living tiny in a house that's not going to eat you alive with maintenance, repairs, and costs to begin with, um, then just buy one. Buy one and start doing We sell a shell. You know, you can buy just a shell and finish it off yourself. But I would say um, I have some videos on my YouTube channel about, you know, how to get started and things like that. Uh, start with your trailer frame completely 100% level. Um, mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the main thing. And I have a video on how to do that. Uh, that's going to be your biggest tip as far as if you're going to build yourself. Because that way you just use a level for everything you build instead of trying to make everything perpendicular. Uh, a lot of people build their walls on the, on the ground and then set them up on. I prefer to build one, build them in place. Um, on the the tr house trailer itself, I think um, that's a fast way of doing it. Another good thing is we we spoke about the Buildsworth um, program. If you're signed up with them as a DIYer, you get the same accreditation as a seasoned 30-year builder because they inspect every step of every stage. So you'll also get some help as you go. Like, hey, I'm having trouble with plumbing. Can I talk with somebody about you know how to run the drain lines? You'll get on the phone with me or another builder or somebody, and we'll we'll help guide you through it. So it's a great um, resource for a DIYer. Um, and again, it also makes sure that your build meets all the requirements for all 50 states as you go. But as far as speed goes, I mean, you're, unless you're just really fast at building, it don't rush through it. Just just take your time. Make sure you have a place to build. Um, I don't know, you live up north, right? Yeah, I'm in Vermont. Oh, you're hey, that's my birthplace, Burlington. So yeah, right now. Nice. So you have you uh, have seasons to contend with here in Florida. It just gets hot, and uh, but you can still build in it. So you want to make sure you have a place secured to build it long enough for you to build the project. So a lot of people say, hey, you know, I rented a spot for three months to build this tiny house, but you know, it's going to take six or you know, twelve months even sometimes, depending on your availability and how how good and fast you are. So I'd say make sure you secure a good spot to build it in. Um, and tools. Don't skimp on tools. Buy some good tools. If you're going to do the job, do it right, and you're going to make it a lot easier on yourself. And make sure you observe the you know, safety in using those tools. If you don't have experience with them, make sure you, you learn. Get on some YouTube channels and find out how to use a table saw properly or a you know, chop saw or your, your impact drills, things like that. Absolutely. And there's there's been, unfortunately, too many stories of people getting injured during their builds, especially when they're trying to rush through it. Yep. Yeah. And electrical and plumbing are big, big issues too. Make sure you, um, everybody says, Oh, I just went over did with everything. That's not necessarily the best way. Like people use a 12 gauge wire on a 15 amp circuit, you know, when you only need a 14 gauge wire on a 15 amp circuit and they think, well, I just wanted a heavier duty one. It doesn't actually help. The problem it creates is 12 gauge wire is harder to make a good connection with than a 14 gauge. So you might as well just use a 15 amp circuit and a 14 gauge wire in the first place. There's hardly anything in a tiny house that you will require a uh, 12 gauge wire for until you get up to like water heaters and, you know, maybe cooktops and things like that anyway. Right. And 
isn't there also a potential safety issue if your wire can handle more electricity than your breaker can? You could end up. No, no, the, the safety issue is in the connection. So most of the time, there's hardly ever a problem with a wire um, failing, the actual wire itself. Where the fail is, is always in the connections, you know, where it connects to the outlets or the switches and such. So make it easier for you to make a good quality connection and, um, and you'll be just fine. I have a list of tips for how to do um, wiring in a tiny house, uh, just just basic stuff, and I'm I'm happy to share that. Maybe I'll post it on Facebook after after we talk. Um, just yeah, that'd be great. I'll it. I'll link. I can link to that to that post in the sh- in the show notes. Yeah, I'll have to find the notes first and copy and paste. I may have to get them from Buildsworth. I know they use them. So I want to also learn more about trekker trailers, which yeah, that that's been a more long term long established company for you, right? Yeah. Well my my oldest son is named Trekker. T R E K K E R like trekking across America. Uh-huh. Or Star Trekker or whatever you want to call. But anyway, so we started the company when he was born in 08 when the market crashed, the housing market. I was in houses in a real estate and we lost everything. We had our first kid and um had to feed him out of food pantries and I took a job digging ditches for eight bucks an hour so I can take care of my family. And uh, so I started building this uh, little teardrop camper on an old pop-up frame I had. And I just did it in my, in my driveway, and it came out really cool. And I put it up for sale, and that's when the earthquake hit Haiti. So I sold it, and having experience in disaster relief and third-world travel and stuff like that, uh, I used the money to take a team to, to go to Haiti with a team to do uh, disaster relief and some, some work down there. And by the time I got back from that trip, I had orders for more. And that kind of kicked off the whole Trekker Trailers business. Wow. And uh, so I just started building them. I built, um, I don't know if you remember, you're probably too young to remember the Cerro Scotty campers. The old classic has a silhouette of a Scotty dog on the front. Um, very, very collectible and very famous company. The only company to ever have a brand exclusive campground up in Pennsylvania. Well, they contacted me, wanted me to design and build a teardrop for them. And it turned out to be the, the first one they've had since 1958. It's called the Scotty Light, and that's my design. Um, and so it just kind of snowballed. I went from there. Somebody gave me a shop to use for free and got bigger and had to rent a shop and bigger and bigger. And I thought I used to restore vintage homes and build little micro quarters in each one of the vintage homes I, I built and flipped to um, generate more income. And so I thought, well, hey, I'll just put one of those on wheels and call it a tiny house. And about the same time, Jay Schaefer had been doing some out west and uh, I hadn't seen any, but I built one and it sold the first day I put it up for sale. And I thought, well, I better build another one. And it just kind of snowballed. So I did those and uh, continued with building the gypsy wagons and the teardrops and the gypsy wagons have been a lot of fun to do. You've probably seen, you saw one of those in mass too, I think. Yeah. I've seen them at, I, I saw them at Georgia too. And oh yeah. so tell me, like, tell me about the gypsy wagon. What, what is the primary use case? Is this uh something that you could live in or is it more of a, a travel kind of oh, recreation? Yeah. You know, it's, it's really cool because they have such character. Um, it's really even, it's even for using them as full-time living which was the very first one I built was for full-time living uh, at about, gosh, what was it, 46 square feet. Um, and she still is, and I think it's been five, six years now. Um, but it's been pretty even for full-time living, for camping. Um, our camping model can sleep a family of four. 
It'll sleep four adults, and it has an outdoor kitchen, easy to pull with a Honda CRV or whatever, you know, smaller vehicles. Um, they're very rugged, like they don't wear out. Like I have some as rental rentals, and uh, the one you saw up in Mass actually is about 40,000, 50,000 miles on it, and it's been hit wow. twice by trucks, and both times it just messed up the truck. Didn't even affect the structure of the trailer itself, the camper. But, yeah, they're all over the place. We do the vending ones. People like to use them for vending because they have a cool – uh, look to them they attract a lot of attention so a lot of renaissance fair people will use them uh, for selling handmade jewelry or leather goods out of or whatnot but yeah they're they're a lot of fun and uh, they're very they're very accommodating i just built one it was a 15 foot model but our standard is 10 but this guy's living in it full time he's, he's a big guy about six two maybe 280 pounds and he's perfectly comfortable in his he loves it full-time living yeah, 15 feet is approaching, I mean, that's a tiny house. Yeah. They're all tiny houses. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we have a subcategory, micro houses. Yeah. So what do the, what do the gypsy wagons weigh? Uh, our standard models are about 1,700 pounds, so wow. not very much, yeah. And so that's, I'm looking at the website now, those are single axle, and yeah. it looks like, are they framed? At, I mean, they must be framed a little bit, but they nope. look like they're framed very lightly. They're not, they're not a frame at all. It's actually a system I use um, with a special plywood. It's imported from Europe, mm -hmm. um, and they're 5-foot by 10-foot sheets, so that, that helps a lot. But the way I connect everything, you'll notice there's angles on the sides, and then there's the curved roof. And yep. the way I join all the plywood, it's all glued and screwed together, and uh, it's all engineered to be very, very strong and lightweight. So it doesn't require any framework, inter internal framework at all. The sides wow. are, and the walls are the structure themselves. So will people then, you know, finish them out on the inside, or you'll finish them out on the inside with with some other interior sheathing? Um, not normally. Most people just will stain it, varnish it, or paint it on the inside. It's a really beautiful looking wood, a nice, nice light, you know, white wood. But uh, we'll, sometimes we'll do like a tongue and groove pine on the inside. Um, we've done some mahogany, things like that. Just, just whatever the, the people like, but it's not really anything required. You don't, you don't need anything. It's, it's plenty good enough just the way it is. But if you're going to be in extreme cold weather, um, I always recommend, you know, do, go ahead and do a layer of uh, maybe three-quarter foam and then do some tongue and groove pine, you know, the thin stuff over that, just right to give it another, an extra little barrier. Have you ever had one with a wood stove in it? Yeah. Yeah, the 15-footer I just did had one of those cubics, the the little tiny wood stove in there. And that must be able to get very warm and toasty. Wood stoves definitely put out a lot of heat. Yeah, it's totally unnecessary. Totally unnecessary. This thing's only like 10 inches cube. <laughs> if I was going to be up here in Vermont in one, I would I would want a wood stove in it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, it's such a small space that your body heat does most of it. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been in, in some pretty cold with them and just barely had a space heater running and it was just fine. So do you also do rentals of these trailers of, of the gypsy wagons? Yeah. So that's kind of a cool, uh, business we started. I, I started renting them out just so people can try them before they buy them kind of thing. And it, it turned out to be a, a really kind of its own business. So, um, just this year I started a lease company. So now we lease them to people. Like if they want to have their own rental companies, short-term rentals, we lease them to people for a three-year lease um, at, a, at a certain rate. And for like a $1,000 deposit, they have a turnkey business 
uh, they'll get linked up on our social media and our website and stuff. And they can start running them out like on Outdoorsy or Camp Panda or RVShare.com. And you can make a pretty good living or at least, you know, pretty good uh, subsidy renting these out. I have one client that has three of them. Um, and he's, he's using it for his, his uh, son to go through college. So his son runs the business and puts himself through college with it. How do you have time to run so many businesses? I'm, well, I'm in awe. <laughs> Long days. But actually what it is is I've, I've just recently started learning this is to start, um, you know, delegating some of it, you know, and taking on like Bruce and Sherry as partners. I, I've been like, not very good or very interested in having business partners in the past, but they have been a total blessing to me and my family. And I've really enjoyed having them. And they've, they've taken on a lot of the, uh, the stuff that I'm not good at or don't like, and they handle all those things and let me just focus on the stuff that I'm really good at. And, and, you know, there's only about 20% of our efforts that produce 80% of our returns. So they're basically allowing me to focus on that 20%. And then they're focusing on their 20% that has 80% and so on. So right now I'm actually looking for a business partner to partner up with the lease company to take on. And, and I'm willing to give away a, a pretty good chunk of ownership of Trekker Trailers uh, lease company uh, for somebody to take that on that has the time just to just to do some of the marketing and, um, you know, the media that needs to be done and just, you know, vet the um, people who are wanting to sign up and basically just handle it. There's not a whole lot to do, but it's something that I don't have time to do. So I'm, I'm looking for that. In fact, I'm meeting with a, a couple next week, this week, that's interested in that. But yeah, it'll be fun, fun business for somebody. Nice. Well, and if somebody listens to this and thinks that that might be the business for them, I will link to Andrew's website where I'm sure that they can contact him. Is yep. that um... my cell phone number's right on there? Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, one thing that I like to ask all of my guests um, is what are two or three resources, so things like books or movies or just anything that has inspired you on your tiny house journey or even your journey to just be doing what you're doing? Wow. Um, okay, so obviously Buildsworth is in the tiny house movement. Buildsworth is going to be a key component to anybody being if they're a DIYer or want to get into the business of it. You definitely want to get to a Buildsworth, and I'm sure you had the link on there, but it's spelled funny. It's B I L D S W O R T H dot okay. com. So Buildsworth.com is a great resource. Um, but for me, me personally, um, inspiration has come from a lot of different places. Um, I wouldn't say I'm religious, but I'm I'm a spiritual kind of person. I'm a Christian, and one of the there's a book that really kind of set me free from some um, doctrinal issues that I may have had, but it's called The Shack by William P. Young. And okay. it's kind of an eye-opener. Um, I'd say that book would, would be one that's really changed me as far as a way to approach the world. And another one is um, by uh, Felice Cohen, which I heard you had on your show, right? Yeah, just this past uh, week. Yeah, so she is yeah. fantastic. Uh, her book, What Papa Told Me, um, was really a really helps you zoom out um, and and realize what we are capable of as humans. So I definitely recommend that book. And and if you get a chance to hang around her, she's fantastic. What you did in Mastin. I agree. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. So th those are some 
those are some things I would I would highly recommend. And and really just just like like I said on my TEDx, which I I, I guess you listened to, was just make yourself available. You know, people are people are important. Ideas are not quite as important, and ideals are not quite as important as people. So make sure that everything you're doing doesn't alienate the people around you because they're your greatest resource. Well, Andrew Bennett, thank you so much for for being on the show. Cool, man. Well, thank you for having me. I'm honored and I appreciate it. Thank you so much to Andrew Bennett for being a guest on today's show. You can find the notes, links to the resources that Andrew mentioned, and links to all of Andrew's stuff on the show notes page at thetinyhouse.net slash 033. And just to tell you a little bit more about Tiny House Engage, I know I mentioned it in the show opener, but registration is open for the next week. And in addition to being able to ask me questions anytime and get support and encouragement from fellow Tiny Housers and access the video training library, there's another benefit that I didn't tell you about. And that is that you get to listen to these podcast interviews live as we record them. And what's really cool about that is that if you have questions for our guests, this enables you to ask them. And so you can not only learn from me and the people in Tiny House Engage, but you can also learn from the guests on the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast. So if you'd like to learn more about Tiny House Engage and register for access, the website to visit is thetinyhouse.net slash T-H-E. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash T-H-E. I can't wait to meet you inside Tiny House Engage. Well, that's all for today's episode. I'm Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.